Welcome back to the Hemingway List for Book 12, Chapter 10. Tolstoy gives a brief description of the burned-out city that Pierre sees. What effect do you think this has on Pierre? And Pierre and devout meet, and it's certainly a complex interaction. What are your thoughts? There's a glimmer of hope that devout may want to save Pierre. Is there anything to this? Um... Karakikas says, I find it hard to believe that someone known for cruelty, devout, would be swayed by sharing a look with someone. The glimmer of hope is just in Pierre's mind. I do feel the frustration that Pierre does that the system is killing him. But unlike everyone else, Pierre is the main character, so I think he will get out of it this time. FDLP1 says, I'm not convinced that Pierre is indeed headed for execution. I think we're observing Pierre's shifting mental state because he, like us, doesn't really know what's going on. Pierre felt like a meaningless speck trapped in the wheel of some well-oiled machine, working away in a manner that he didn't understand. He understandably shifts between hope and despair. For several seconds, they looked at one another, and it was this look that saved Pierre. Confusion, you reckon? Yeah, that would make sense. That would be that would um, explain why the chapter was quite confusing. Pierre is looking for you know a glimmer of hope, maybe because things are not looking that good for him, and he's facing off of this uh, devout character, and who's known to be cruel, and Pierre reckons he sees in him a, a glimmer of understanding, but based on what really. Acoustic Eel says maybe Rambale will be among the firing squad that takes Pierre out. When he sees Pierre in the lineup, he might remember the time Pierre saved his life and returned the favour. Also just wanted to say, hey, after a vacation and the start of fall semester, I fell behind for a month and a half, but I'm all caught up now. What a grim moment to come back. Good to see you back, Acoustic Eels. Nice to have you here. Um... Warren Kovoffi says this, I agree with the doubt over Pierre meeting his end here. I think Pierre is really wondering what the hell he got himself into, but I don't think he'll be killed. Either someone intervenes to prevent his execution, or maybe the French just straight up let him go on their own accord. I also found it funny that Devout thought of Pierre, of all people, as a possible spy. It was strange the way he just kind of straight up accused him of being a spy. Like, I know this guy, he's a spy. It's an interesting moment. Alright, I'm keen to read you the next one. I got the um, the old uh, COVID vaccine. I didn't get COVID, I got the vaccine um, on Friday. It's Today's Monday. It was only my first dose of the Pfizer one. And um, such a weird thing, you know. So easy to go down the rabbit hole of people saying you shouldn't get it or you should get it. This and that. You can drive yourself nuts. And I thought, you know what? I know so many people have got it and they're fine. So I'm going to get it and I'm going to be fine. So I did get it and I am fine. But the standard side effect of like feeling tired has just kind of progressed. Friday, I didn't feel tired. I felt okay. Saturday, I felt pretty good. Sunday, I was like, oh, I do feel a bit tired. And then today, even more tired. It's like I'm getting progressively tired day by day because of because of the vaccine maybe not because of the vaccine probably most likely completely unrelated to the vaccine but um that's what i'm linking it to in my head anyway 
point being, I'm half asleep right now, so I'm going to keep reading to you, and then I'm going to go and chillax on the couch. Chapter 11. From Prince Sherbatov's house, the prisoners were led straight down the virgin's field to the left of the nunnery, as far as a kitchen garden in which a post had been set up. Beyond that post, a fresh pit had been dug in the ground, and near the post and the pit, a large crowd stood in a semicircle. The crowd consisted of a few, few Russians and many of Napoleon's soldiers who were not on duty, Germans, Italians, and Frenchmen in a variety of uniforms. To the right and left of the post stood rows of French troops in blue uniforms with red epaulets and high boots and shakos. The prisoners were placed in a certain order, according to the list. Pierre was sixth, and were led to the post. Several drums suddenly began to beat on both sides of them, and at that sound Pierre felt as if part of his soul had been torn away. He lost the power of thinking or understanding. He could only hear and see, and he had only one wish, that the frightful thing that had to happen should happen quickly. Pierre looked around at his fellow prisoners and scrutinized them. The two first were convicts with shaven heads, one was tall and thin, the other dark, shaggy and sinewy with a flat nose. The first was a domestic serf about 45 years old with grizzled hair and a plump, well-nourished body. The fourth was a peasant, a very handsome man with a broad, light brown beard and black eyes. The fifth was a factory hand, a thin, sallow-faced lad of 18 in a loose coat. Pierre heard the French consulting whether to shoot them separately or two at a time. In couples, replied the officer, in command, in a calm voice. There was a stir in the ranks of the soldiers, and it was evident that they were all hurrying, not as men hurry to do something they understand, but as people hurry to finish a necessary but unpleasant and incomprehensible task. A French official wearing a scarf came up to the right of the row of prisoners and read out the sentence in Russian and in French. Then two pairs of Frenchmen approached the criminals, and the officer's command took the two convicts who stood first in the row. The convicts stopped when they reached the post and while sacks were being brought looked dumbly around as a wounded beast looks at an approaching huntsman. One crossed himself continually, the other scratched his back and made a movement of the lips resembling a smile. With hurried hands the soldiers blindfolded them drawing the sacks over their heads and bound them to the post. Twelve sharpshooters with muskets stepped out of the ranks with a firm regular tread and halted eight paces from the post. Pierre turned away to avoid seeing what was going to happen. Suddenly a crackling rolling noise was heard with which seemed to him louder than the most terrific thunder and he looked around there was some smoke and the Frenchmen were doing something near the pit with pale faces and trembling hands. Two more prisoners were led up in the same way and with similar looks, these two glanced vainly at the onlookers with only a silent appeal for protection in their eyes, evidently unable to understand or believe what was going to happen to them. They could not believe it because they alone knew what their life meant to them, and so they neither understood nor believed that it could be taken from them. Again, Pierre did not wish to look, and again turned away, but again the sound as of a frightful explosion struck his ear and at the same moment he saw smoke, blood and the pale scared faces of the Frenchmen who were again doing something by the post, their trembling hands impeding one another. Pierre, breathing heavily, looked around as if asking what it meant. The same question was expressed in all the looks that met his. 
On the faces of all the Russians and of the French soldiers and officers, without exception, he read the same dismay, horror and conflict that were in his own heart. But who, after all, is doing this? They are all suffering as I am. Who then is it? Who? Flashed for an instant through his mind. Sharpshooters of the 86th forward shouted someone. The fifth prisoner, the one next to Pierre, was led away. Alone, Pierre did not understand that he was saved, that he and the rest had been brought there only to witness the execution. With ever-growing horror and no sense of joy or relief, he gazed at what was taking place. The fifth man was the factory lad in the loose coat. The moment they laid hands on him, he sprang aside in terror and clutched at Pierre. Pierre shuddered and shook himself free. The lad was unable to walk. They dragged him along, holding him up under the arms, and he screamed. When they got him to the post, he grew quiet, as if he suddenly understood something. Whether he understood that screaming was useless, or whether he thought it incredible that men should kill him, at any rate, he took his stand at the post, waiting to be blindfolded like the others, and, like a wounded animal, looked around him with glittering eyes. Pierre was no longer able to turn away and close his eyes. His curiosity and agitation, like that of the whole crowd, reached the highest pitch at this fifth murder. Like others, this fifth man seemed calm. He wrapped his loose cloak closer and rubbed one bare foot with the other. When they began to blindfold him, he, adjust, he himself adjusted the knot which hurt the back of his head. Then, when they propped him against the blood-stained post, they leaned back and, not being comfortable in that position, straightened himself, adjusted his feet, and leaned back again more comfortably. Pierre did not take his eyes from him and did not miss his slightest movement. Probably a word of command was given and was followed by the reports of eight muskets, but try as he would, Pierre could not afterwards remember having heard the slightest sound of the shots. He only saw how the workmen suddenly sank down on the cords that held him, how blood showed itself at two places, how the ropes slackened under the weight of his hanging body, and how the workmen sat down, his head hanging unnaturally and one leg bent under him. Pierre ran up to the post. No one hindered him. Pale, frightened people were doing something about around the workmen. The lower jaw of an old Frenchman with a thick moustache trembled as he untied the ropes. The body collapsed. The soldiers dragged it awkwardly from the post and began pushing it into the pit. They all plainly and certainly knew that they were criminals who must hide the traces of their guilt as quickly as possible. Pierre glanced into the pit and saw that the factory lad was lying with his knees close up to his head and one shoulder higher than the other. That shoulder rose and fell rhythmically and convulsively, but spadefuls of earth were already being thrown over the whole body. One of the soldiers, evidently suffering, shouted gruffly and angrily at Pierre to go back, but Pierre did not understand him and remained near the post, and no one drove him away. When the pit had been filled up, a command was given. Pierre was taken back to his place, and the rows of troops on both sides of the post made a half-turn and went past it at a measured pace. The twenty-four sharpshooters with discharged muskets standing in the centre of the circle ran back to their places as the companies passed by. Pierre gazed now with dazed eyes at these sharpshooters who ran in couples out of the circle. All but one rejoined their companies. This one, a young soldier, his face deadly pale, his shako pushed back, and his musket resting on the ground, stood, still stood near the pit at the spot 
from which he had fired. He swayed like a drunken man, taking some steps forward and back to save himself from falling. An old, non-commissioned officer ran out of the ranks and taking him by the elbow dragged him to his company. The crowd of Russians and Frenchmen began to disperse. They all went away silently and with drooping heads. That will teach them to start fires, said one of the Frenchmen. Pierre glanced round at the speaker and saw that it was a soldier who was trying to find some relief after what had been done, but was not able to do so. Without finishing what he had begun to say, he made a hopeless movement with his arm and went away. Okie dokie, there's another chapter for you. Uh, Grim. That was Grim. I hope you're feeling alright after that. Have a little chit chat over on the subreddit. Uh, and I'll see you tomorrow.